All right, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you to a brand new episode of SCAR. Now, SCAR stands for Seeking Courage and Redemption with Dustin Rivenbart. Now, I've got a great guest on the line. Before we get into all of that, though, I want to give you the intent of the podcast, kind of the, the why are we here, so to speak. And we're here to work out our hardships, our trials, our issues, all of the things in such a way that we can begin to unfold God's plan and purpose for our lives. But you may be listening and say, but Dustin, why do I need to listen to Scar? And the truth is, is that we all have stuff, man. We all have junk. We all have things that can begin to accumulate uh, in our lives and on our minds, and it can even begin to change the trajectory of our lives if we don't deal with it, if we don't, if we don't bring this to the forefront and find out the best way to go about it. And with all of that and helping us today kind of navigate uh, some of the the things, some of the issues of life is Miss Kimberly Spencer. Please say hello. Yes, let's get it. All right. So, Miss Kimberly Spencer is in Australia right now. So, tell me what's the weather like uh, uh, across the world right now? Well, I'm in uh, the Gold Coast of Australia, which is a tropical environment. So, it feels very much like New Orleans in the summer. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. So, you are in a tropical environment. So, now you haven't always been. Um, in Australia. So, Kim, tell me a little bit um, about uh, sort of your backstory, your background, and how you got here. And just for our listeners, so you know, uh, Kimberly Spencer is kind of the, it, she's the founder of Crown Yourself, in which she helps women and a handful of men um, sort of become the best version of themselves, whether that's through coaching uh, uh, kind of helping people to not self-destruct, so to speak. And so, uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about your background, Kimberly, and how you got here. Well, how I got to Australia is, is a much shorter story. Yeah. So I'll tell that one first. Um, my husband is a voice actor, and so the fun part about when, when I, two hours before I met my husband, I was praying a prayer, and I said, all, God, all I want is to be 100% authentic and to travel. That is all I want. And two hours later, I meet this amazing man who sponsors up to me in a bar, um, and it was for a networking event. And he, he can, we immediately connect. He ends up, my car gets locked in the parking garage. He ends up driving me home. We begin our now eight-year relationship, and I have traveled more and been more authentic wow. than being with this man. It has been a beautiful journey. My husband was, um, what I say is my experiment in honesty, because growing up, I grew up with an addict for a dad and a very codependent mother, and so when, and it it was a, like, my childhood really set the foundation for how I'm able to be a great coach, because I can catch human behavior very, very fast, because when you're in that environment, um, for me, I had four dads. I had the stoner dad, who was pretty laid back and pretty chill. Yeah. I had the sober dad, 
awesome. He was cool. He was fun. He would take me to the park. I had the pill-popping manic dad who was a little crazy. Um, and then I had the alcoholic dad who was uh, a jerk. And I'll say that politely. And so I had to be able to calibrate human behavior very, very fast. Yes. Because I, I didn't know which dad I was going to be interacting with. And so as soon as he got home... I would, by his behavior, by the scent, like, my, my just natural instincts got very attuned very early on in life to calibrate human behavior. Wow. And so that was, a, that, like, I've thanked my dad so many times now because I'm like, you gave me the best training ground for my path and service. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, like, like, we now have a very good relationship because he's now um, one year sober and four years sober from beautiful. alcohol. Um, so it's beautiful. And... The, um, but that experience growing up really taught me in my relationships to be a chameleon. And so when I met my husband, it was the first time living and acting with courage and actually sharing the real me. There's a great line from the movie Cinderella that I, lo- I love princess stories. Obviously, my business is called Crown Yourself. I grew up wanting to be a princess yes. who would grow into a I love princess stories, and I I hate the movie Cinderella, the animated version, because I think that's a weak, weak princess. But the but the the new one with Kate Blanchett and uh, what's her face from Downton Abbey, um, I love her. I just forget mm-hmm. her name at this yeah. moment. And it, it, the final one of the final lines of that movie was the most, one of the most courageous things you can do is let somebody see all of you. Wow. Basically, I'm paraphrasing. Let somebody see the authentic version of you. Cinderella ends up coming down the stairs, and she's no longer in her ball and gown. She's in her servant's uniform, and she meets the prince, and she she let, is fully transparent. That that is who she really is. <laughs> and that was what I did that night that I met my husband. And I he actually loved that because of his trials and his own scars that he had gone through with his divorce from his ex-wife. Um, he loved the fact that I was authentic. He loved the fact that I was honest, like brutally honest and super candid with what I with what I wanted. And so that's how we began our relationship. And candor has always been the foundation of our of our marriage and of our relationship. So, and, so fast forward years later, we our the vision was always to travel and to be able to travel the world and raise our kids in living in different countries and having different experiences. Because I do believe that travel is one of the most powerful ways to open the eyes of, of humanity to see how different cultures are and how different cultures operate and what we can borrow and what we like and what we don't like to allow for some uh, contrast. And so we had this opportunity because of my husband's voiceover career to be able to be over in Australia for a convention, ironically, with the cast of The Walking Dead. I found that very funny in the beginning of the <laughs> pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're hanging out over here. And we went to Melbourne, and we went to the Gold Coast. And when we were in the Gold Coast, we were seeing that lockdown was pretty much going to be eminent um, within a few weeks after the convention. And I just had this gut calling that I said, I know this sounds crazy. I feel like we should stay. And my husband was like, what if we did stay? And we toyed with the idea for a couple days. And I remember, like, just sitting on it and just meditating with it and praying on it. And I was like... I, I feel 100% certain that this is the best decision that we could actually make for our family. And my husband was at 99% certainty. And I said, if you are not 100% certain, then we go back. I said, because you can't, like, with certainty, with, with faith, it requires all of you. And it requires 
all in. It's not, you can't be like 99% yeah. having faith and trust. It, and, and then, like, only 1% is like, um, I'm not sure, let me hold on to that doubt and fear, and because that doubt and fear will completely cripple the entire experience. Mm. And so I said, if you're not at 100%, then we go home. And he went off, and he went for about an hour, and he sat with the idea, he prayed on it, meditated, and he really just sat and, and asked for that guidance, and he came back to me within an hour, and said, yeah, we're staying. Wow. And he said, 100% certainty. I said, great. And so we've stayed, and since then, um, we've been able to grow profoundly. We've been able to have, like, <laughs> our growth has been exponential. And staying here, and our son gets to go to school now, because Queensland is, like, one of the most safest places for the pandemic ever. Um, everything is back to normal here. There's no mass ordinances. They have, like, people, there's no cases. Wow. There is back to living their life again and like festivals are happening again very slowly so i like to give all my uh american <laughs> fellow patrons some some encouragement that it is possible and you will get through this um america just has a population that is so much larger than australia the entire country of australia has the same population as the entire uh, county of los angeles oh my goodness which is where I'm <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I, I just want to jump in. You have just uh, unloaded uh, a lot of, of, of interesting information. And I want to back up a little bit. You talked about your childhood um, with your father and, and all of that. And I just thought it was so interesting. You said you had you had uh, four types of dads, a stoner dad, the sober dad, the pill-popping manic, and the alcoholic dad. And you talked about it taught you how to calibrate human behavior. So I, I want to speak into this just for a second. How, how did you come up with uh, basically the realization that you noticed this, that that basically how did you how do you give credit to what seems like a curse but in reality it was it was almost as if a blessing like like how what made you see life like that i didn't know it until i started teaching pilates i got um, when i was 19 i was working as certain like i was working in hollywood as a screenwriter and an actor and that was my, always my dream growing up was what I wanted to do. And now now looking back, I know that that really was because that was the only field where I saw that you could make the income and the impact that I desired to make. Mm. And that was my only example. So I thought, oh, okay, I'll become a Hollywood star and then I'll be, and then I'll be able to make the impact and because I'll be able to be making the income that I want to be making. Um, now I, I see that that's not true. I think entrepreneurship is like amazing and there's yes. all different types of ways money and to make impact so there's no one right way um you have to find the aligned way that works best for you and so with my business that's that's now what I get to do but in a fun way I do get to perform because I'm the one fun podcast and I'm the one that's doing the live streams and the training so it does feed to like the creative production juices in me in this in the same way but in this way it there's so much more control for me that I get to have so when I was when I was back in acting and screenwriting in Hollywood, you need a bridge job. So you need a job that's basically to support yourself until you get that big commercial or that big thing that then is able to take to take you to some, you know, yeah. to be able to get the gain traction. And so I was looking 
for one, and I didn't really, like, I never, I always had an entrepreneurial spirit, so I never really wanted anything that would lock me into a specific time where I'd have to, like, get my shift covered or something if I had a job. Um, I just wanted to have a little bit more free time, and I found, it was at the same time I was struggling with bulimia, um, I was on the tail end of, of healing that, and I was looking for some form of exercise, and it was just this amazing convergence where a classmate of mine from acting school asked if I wanted to take some free Pilates lessons because she was getting her certification, and I started doing Pilates, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is this form of exercise makes me feel so good. It was the first time I felt good in my body in like eight years, I love that. and I felt strong, and I felt beautiful, and, and within three months, like, I I said, I have to teach this, and within six months, I was certified, and with Pilates, you get to set your own schedule, and within a year of starting to work for a studio as a freelancer, I was the highest paid and youngest instructor, and most fully booked instructor at the studio, and I got, I've always had a very questioning mindset where I'm able to, like, zoom out and look at the whole big picture, and see the ecosystem and how I'm playing a part in that ecosystem and I did question like why am I so good at this like why does why am I so booked (laughs) what is it about the other and and so I was like they're all really good instructors they're all equally just as qualified like what is it about what I'm doing that makes it very different and I saw what I was doing and I saw that when I'm with a client and it's the same as when I'm in a coaching session I'm a hundred percent dialed in I am not looking at my phone I'm not eating lunch I'm a hundred percent dialed into that person and their experience and a that's because I'm getting that's what I'm getting paid for so I don't see any other way but B that's also how I'm calibrating their behavior and also how I'm seeing their body move yeah. So Pilates was a foundational training for me to start seeing that I can really, I can see these micro muscle movements in the face, in the body. I can kind of read emotion from the body um, very fast, and that I highly, I, I, I believe that was developmental from from my experience growing up with my family. So I, um, I, I just want to say I can I can relate to that so much because that is so. Yeah. Uh, uh, with my mother, I, I, you know, I told you my mother struggled with drug addiction and, and all of that as well. In fact, I lost my mother to a to a drug overdose. But growing up, I dealt with some of the same things you're talking about. And also, um, she was uh, a pathological liar. She just, she just, she, she, she just was. God love her. We love her. She was my mom. I, I love her to death. But there were a lot of things that that just uh, weren't true and 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 all of that. And on the other side. Uh, on my dad's side of the family, I worked on a farm a lot and, and with my grandfather, and we worked cattle. And I had to learn to read cattle when we would catch cows, release cows, do all of and treat cows and all of this. You learn when a cow's getting ready to charge you. You learn when a cow, you learn body language, you learn movement and how to develop that side of your brain on top of the things that I was going through as well. So I believe that my gut instinct, that the way I read a relationship, the way I'm in tune as well, like what you're saying, I think it's just so vital that um, that that you know we learn to use a lot of these situations and circumstances uh, for benefit later on in life. Yeah, and, and I it, it happens, like, I've worked with a lot of my clients have had trauma in their past, 
and consistently there is a theme of being able to read behavior faster because it was a necessity. Mm. Um, it was a necessity for survival. Um, when your brain is firing off this fight or flight, your like mechanisms and your sympathetic nervous system is going on overdrive because it's like there's there's danger, there's danger. You have to be able to read behavior really fast because your brain can't can't tell the difference. It, it doesn't tell the difference whether you're being charged by a cattle or yeah, charged yeah. by a stable tiger, or there's a behavior that you perceive to be dangerous and thus stimulating that fear in your brain. And so, like I and I've heard this from multiple people and multiple sources who have experienced developmental trauma from uh, growing up, is that there is just a higher capacity to be able to read human behavior because it was our survival right. instinct. Now, Kim, sorry. I use it as a gift now. Like, now I'm like, that was the best training ground ever for what I do. (laughs) So it served me powerfully. Kim, you talked to me about about being a chameleon. Tell me about that. Yeah, so one of the things with, with being able to calibrate human behavior is you're also able to calibrate what behavior gets certain results fast. And I see this with all children because, I mean, I have a toddler right now, and I'm seeing him learn. Because he's in school, I'm seeing, like, just yesterday, I picked him up from school, and there was a facial expression that I've never seen him make. And I'm like, he learned that from one of his classmates. And he's testing it right now with me to see how it how it plays and how it fares. Like, does it, will it get him the result that he wants? Um, and so he's in that space, and it's not it's not a good or a bad thing. It's not, like... It's not a thing of morality. It's a thing of curiosity that, that kids naturally do to, to kind of adapt to see what behavior will get me the thing that I actually want. Mm. Um, that's, and, and that's something that I was able to learn, but you learn it in a different way when growing up with an addict. And so, you like, for me, I learned it in a way that if I adapt myself this way and I started to gather these beliefs and and beliefs of of causality as I call them so it's a very if-then belief so if I am skinny enough then my dad will be sober if I'm you know if I work hard enough if I get good enough grades if I'm smart enough then then that'll make him want to change and the thing is is that those beliefs that I took on were 100% plagiarized um, and they were 100% his addiction wasn't about me. His addiction was his own stuff. Yes. And but the problem is, is as a kid, we're trying to find some sort of rationality for this behavior that somebody else is doing that's not getting us the love or attention that we want. And so that's what that's what I was experiencing is I wasn't getting the the love or the attention or the results that I wanted. So I would try different things, like maybe if I got good enough grades, maybe if I got enough schools, maybe if I did enough speaking gigs, maybe if I you know, got enough awards. Um, so I went the path of the high achiever, and it also taught me adaptability in relationships. So in all my past relationships before my husband, there were parts of me that I would tone down. So like I wouldn't be weird, or I wouldn't feel, or I t- turn up certain parts of me. Like I turn up the sexy part of me, or I turn up the. Um, there's a, a term in Hollywood called the Manic Pixie Dream Girl. Yeah. And you kind of see it from like Portman and Garden State, and it's like this like elusive girl that you kind of want. And I knew how to play that part. Yeah. And so I got very good acting in all these different scenarios in my real life, 
but I wasn't being really true to myself for who I, I really am. And so I would turn, like, I would tone down, like, the ambitious side of me for relationships, or I would tone, tone down other, uh, like, it just depended on the, upon the person that I was in a relationship with. But eventually, I just became disenchanted with this idea of turning any part of me down. Like, I remember in the relationship that I was in before my husband, standing in the kitchen, and <laughs> you can ask my husband, I do not cook. <laughs> so... Like, standing in the kitchen and being like, what is this role that I have painted myself into? Because my, my uh, boyfriend at the time was on his computer, and I was making dinner, and I was like, this is not me in any, like, how did I get myself into this role? And it was because I said yes to things that I wanted to say no to. Wow. And it, because, it was because I said no, no to things that I wanted to say yes to. And... I, it's because I had done these things in order to please someone else to think that that would make them love me. But the thing is, is that that isn't real love because real love, they love all of you. You know, I, I can't, I can't help but think how how much truth you're speaking right now. I absolutely love this, and being a chameleon almost almost happens from uh, learning how to calibrate human behavior like you talked about or early childhood and all of that. It's kind of an ad adaptability of trying to create a situation that will cause someone to act differently or love you more. How did you find uh, being a chameleon uh, detrimental to relationships that you've had? Now, what did you find it as a detrimental, like a deficit, or did you find it as a uh, uh, relationship um, uh, a good thing. How did you? How did that interact with you and your spouse, or or you and your uh, um, significant other? So it, it depends on the relationship. So being able to be a chameleon and being able to adapt to people, it helps me very much in gaining rapport with others in a business scenario. Yes. So I'm able to gain rapport in, in a room a lot faster because. I can tell if somebody, like let's say for example, I start hearing the tonality of somebody's voice and they speak a little slower. And I just naturally will slow my voice down to be in that uh, tonality of auditory rapport. Versus if it starts to talk really fast and they're like really animated, I will speed up my tonality just naturally gotcha. in order to uh, adapt to that, to, to gain that rapport. But I found in business relationships, I have very good boundaries as well. So I, I normally will go in knowing what I want, knowing how, how I can help, um, asking questions, approaching it with curiosity. Um, and I'm okay with walking away from a deal. I'm okay with walking away from a client if I don't believe that what I can bring to the table will actually serve somebody. Um, in romantic relationships was where I found uh, being a chameleon very challenging because eventually I would get to the place where I was frustrated that the person I was with did not know me at all and I'll give you an example because when I was when I was 21 or 22 um, <laughs> when I was yeah. 22 I ran off with a, a Navy man I eloped right before he deployed and we went off, signed a marriage certificate, he deployed, and was gone for nine months. And so we decided, like, to be in this uh, marriage that was really, like, only on paper, but still married in, in 
I like I, I did love him. Yeah. But it was very it was very much a, a very rocky, challenged relationship. There was a lot of fighting. And he was gone for about six months and that space actually allowed me to be fully me and to start realizing things that I wanted because I was no longer really adapting to him because he wasn't there. He wasn't yes. present. And I remember being on the phone with him and having a conversation and I, I had been, he met me when I was, my, my first film, my first feature film was in production. Um, I was teaching Pilates full time. I was making some good money and I was just, uh, you know, we were debating on how we were going to live our life like when he got back because my studio was in Los Angeles and he was living down in San Diego and with his, with it being in the Navy, like you travel a lot and I didn't know how that was going to work because my career back then was either, was predominantly located in Hollywood. Right. And I remember saying to him, you know, I miss acting a bit. And he said, how, how are you going to do it? I said, what do you mean? And he said, you want to be a writer and a Pilates instructor and a businesswoman and a wife and mm. a mother and now an actor? How are you going to do it all? And I remember in that, in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, you don't know me at all. <laughs> like, yeah. you, like, it was just such a powerful revelation. And I also realized that it was nobody else's fault for him not knowing the true me but me it was yeah. it was my fault that he didn't know all of my ambitions and all of the desires and all of the things that I wanted to accomplish because I hadn't had the courage to share them because I was hiding certain parts of me just because because I thought that he wouldn't accept those parts and because I hid those parts of me the the ambitious side the driven side which initially he liked but I didn't show it all and that that was what eventually I I said this is this is gonna work out. Um, it just because our values were so out of alignment, and so we ended up separating and dissolving that that marriage. And it was a powerful learning lesson, especially for me growing up with in a Christian family where like my parents had stayed together through fifty years of oh my goodness, like, yeah, yeah, everything. yeah. I'm like, yeah, I was married for nine months and then got divorced. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it was, and it was such a it was such a powerful thing for me because I, I felt like I just trampled on the value of marriage, and it really, I, I'm so grateful for that that relationship though because it did shape me and prepare me to have the marriage that I have with my husband now. Like because that that showed me what happens when you are when you are. It incongruent with your values when you're matched with somebody who doesn't know all of you, and when you are when you're not showing up fully and authentically as, as all as, as all of who you are. And I remember when I first got together with my now forever husband, who is 19 years older than me, um, and in his past marriage he had not. Uh, they decided to not have kids, and so I could tell when my husband and I were. It was before we were married. And I was starting to fall in love with him, and I could tell that, like, the relationship had a lot of potential, but I was fully prepared to walk away if he was not ready to have kids. That was, like, I was not going to waste his time. I respected him too much to waste his time as as a man who's 
19 years older to waste his time, and I respected myself too much to waste any of my time with somebody who then I would have to convince or cajole or manipulate into something that they never wanted in the first place, Yeah, which was where I had been in the past, in past relationships. And so I said, I just was very honest with him. I said, you got to want kids if you want to be with me. Yeah. <laughs> he, said, he said, okay, with, with you, I could definitely see having, having children. And I said, great, let's name them. <laughs> so the first thing we came up with was Declan, and the first one that we've had is Declan. All right. <laughs> it speaks to the power of candor in relationships. I mean, I've had, I've had wives who have not shared, like who shared with me that they wanted to have a million-dollar business before they were 30, eight months before they ever shared it with their husband. Like, and I was like, wait, if you're, and for some reason, it was interesting, in this one uh, experience with one of my clients, she was struggling with trust with her husband. She's like, he's just sneaking uh, cigarettes, and like, I know he's hiding the smoking from me because he knows he doesn't, I don't like it, and I just feel like there's broken trust. I said, well, perception is protection, so where, where are you? hiding something from him wow. and suddenly her face just went oh. wow. and I said what what have you not told him that you actually haven't been trusting him with mm. and she's like I haven't told him about my big dreams and what I want for my business I said exactly I said so it's not necessarily that you're feeling a broken trust from him you also have had you have not trusted him with your own dreams and so, so they had a powerful and it was so transformative and he she was she sent me the greatest text message it was like oh my gosh I cannot believe I was so judgmental about my husband I've married the best man and he supports me fully and she's like you can't believe I hid this from him for eight months for what I wanted so it was it was a really powerful experience and that's just what happens when you just allow yourself to be fully authentic and real especially with your partner especially with your spouse you know, I absolutely love that, Kim. And and you talked early on. You said, you said your your favorite line um, of 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 a movie is from the movie Cinderella. And you said, "Let someone see the authentic version of you." And and so I can see now why that line resonated with you so much. Like going through the experience of the previous marriage, and also I want to take it to my listeners. You also understood the value and sanctity of marriage. Talking about your 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 parents and and all that, and you recognize that. But hey, this is life, right? This is real life, and there and and you understood that that moving forward before we take that role again, um, I've got to be authentic with my. Uh, uh, my future, my future spouse, and and so you you decided to go uh, and and be authentic with your with your husband. But you said something that blew me away. You said um, you you talked about having kids, and he said yes, he could see that with you. And then you said, okay, great, now let's name them. All right, so so I, that is like that is so pivotal of what we should be doing with what we want in life like like let's don't just go through the motions like what do you want in this life let's name it and let's figure out a way to go after it because we only get one shot at it amen and that's exactly how we ended up in the gold coast because our vision has all like eight years this has been the 
decision to live in different countries. And so when we were blessed with the opportunity to be able to be in a different country in a time where we may or may not be able to leave, yeah, yeah. So, and we just said, okay, God, yes. Like, yes. And it took an immense amount of courage. And I cannot tell you how many people said we were crazy. Yeah. Most of my family, <laughs> most of my family's parents were incredibly supportive. They're like, I feel like this is the best choice for you. Um, but my, my, the rest of my extended family was like, you're crazy. You know, they're shutting down the embassies. Like, you got to get home. And I, and I really just asked myself, like, what is there back home for me? Like, what really specifically do I need to fly back for? Like, wow. why? And I just, I, I, I believe our lives are directed by the power of our questions. And the questions that we ask ourselves can really make or break how we experience life. And hearing people, like, I just believe in it, hearing when somebody raises doubts about a choice that we want to make, I, I ask myself, why? Like, why? Like, yes, they're seeing it from their perspective. And yes, they, I'm sure their opinion is valid. Um, why? What is it that I really need to go back to? And I, I looked at it and I was like, if we're going to be on lockdown, there's not much. Like, yeah. oh, I need to go back to my grocery store? Like, right. they have grocery stores here in Australia. It's not like we're in a third world country. Like, yeah. we're in a pretty dark good spot. So it's not like I need, like, like, are they lacking in toilet paper? Like, yeah. <laughs> like do I need to go back? It just, it didn't make it, when I really looked at, like, what is it that I need to go back for? I said, I have everything that I need right here. I have my laptop, I have my Wi-Fi, I have my family. I have an ability to provide for my family through my laptop and my Wi-Fi, and I have my family. Yes. Like, that's all I, I don't really, like, and, yeah, sure, I packed for three weeks and then have stayed for nine months. So, yeah, I had to do a little bit of shopping here. So what? Yeah. <laughs> so what? And so now, uh, Kim, I only have you for like seven more minutes. So I've got an important question that I want to ask you because I want to respect your time and you've got uh, prior commitments. So um, you said, and this, I can't even say this any better. You said our lives are directed by the power of our questions. Um, I don't know that I've ever heard that like that, quite like that. And so how can one train themselves how can one learn to ask powerful questions Kim because we can't just run you can't just say that out of your mouth and then let's just step away from it like that is that is life-changing stuff right there so how how can I begin to ask powerful the 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 right questions in my life I love that you asked me about this because it's one of my favorite things to talk about yes um one of my big questions growing up, one of my big questions, because I had a very big victim mindset for a long, long time, especially, you know, going into bulimia, and which is basically a slow form of suicide and, and self-harm. Um, like, I used to ask, like, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? Why was I born to these parents? Why is this happening to me? And why is an interesting question. Why will give you, if directed in the right way, it'll give you possibilities. Directed in a toward fear and a victim mindset, it will give you more reasons as to why it's happening to you. You know, so back then, where my mindset was, my answers for why is this happening to me, it was because I suck, because I'm a failure, because da 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 da, because I'm not wanted. It was all these really sloppy stories. 
Yeah. And he, he, one of the things he said was, you can, you can choose your emotions. And I was like, what? And so I said, well, how, like, how do you choose your emotions? And part of it was, like, I started to ask myself a different question. So how do you choose your, a different emotion? Instead of getting sucked into this spiral and this vortex of why, I started asking a different question. How do I choose a different response? So mm. the thing is, is that a why question will give you a lot of reasons. Yeah. It'll give you a lot of beliefs. It'll unlock, it'll, it'll give you a lot of limiting beliefs in many ways. It'll give you a lot of excuses sometimes. It'll give you a lot of story. But it doesn't necessarily give you a lot of results. Yeah. If you're asking directed towards faith and purpose, like, God, why is this calling on my heart? Like, why do I need to write this book? Why do I need to start this business? That, that'll be, when it's directed toward purpose, it can be a profound question. But when it's directed toward limitation, it'll give you a lot more limitation. Yeah. Versus a question that starts with what or how will give you strategy. It'll give you a new way of thinking. It'll give you a new way of allowing your unconscious mind, because your unconscious mind is directed by your question. So if you ask yourself a question, imagine your unconscious mind, which runs, it's, it's making 95 to 97% of your decisions anyway. Yep, right. So if you ask, you ask your, your unconscious mind to make a decision and to, to answer a question, it's going to answer it. So you're going to get that sort of divine download and you're going to get that, that answer for what it is that you're seeking. But your unconscious mind is kind of like the crew of a submarine. So the captain is in the submarine barking out orders, and the crew is not questioning those orders. They're not saying, oh, this is a good question, this is a bad order. This is it's following those orders. It's following those instructions. So it, if you're asking, like, why is this happening, it's going gonna, it's gonna to steer the ship toward why is this happening. Yeah. You're going to get more of that. If you're asking, what, what can I do to make this better? Or one of my favorite questions, how is this the best thing that ever happened to me? Imagine mm. asking that about some of the worst things you've ever been through. How is this the best thing that ever happened to me? What a profound change that can have for how you think about why something happened to you. So I look at my life, I look at, I, I was, I've been able to look at the addiction that I grew up with, the, the self-destruction that I personally went through, um, and, and the choices that I made, and like with my with my ex as well and saying how is this the best thing that ever happened to me and that that question alone can give you also forgiveness and can also give you grace yeah because when i found that especially for high achievers it's easy to ask for forgiveness and it's easy to forgive other people but one of the hardest people that we have one of the people that we have persons one of the persons people that we have the hardest time forgiving <laughs> is ourselves. Right, right. And so, well, to forgive ourselves, and if we find the grace in in our choices, that if we find the humanity in our choices and say, oh, you know, that was a very human thing for me to do. That wasn't necessarily the most godlike thing for me to do. <laughs> right. It's a very human thing for me to do. And we can have a little bit of grace and compassion with our humanity. It changes the game for the trajectory of our life. Yeah. So, so... You said, how is this the best thing that's ever happened to me? I heard it said a couple weeks ago, one of my guests, he said that, um, and he was quoting somebody, he said, your greatest genius lies buried next to your greatest hurt. 
And so I thought that and this question of how is this the best thing that's ever happened to me, uh, this is how this question is how you can begin to dig up or unbury, so to speak, your greatest genius laying next to your your greatest hurt. And so I I think that's that's huge. And so uh, here's what I want to do since we're getting down to the last minute. Uh, For anybody that wants to know about Crown Yourself, first of all, Kim, I thank you so much. This has been uh, a beautiful podcast, tons of great nuggets that we can walk away here with. How can we learn more about you? You can go to crownyourself.com, super simple. And if you follow me on the socials, it's at crownyourselfnow. Okay, all right. Well, we'll be following you as well. If you will hold on just for a second, Uh, as for our listeners... Uh, We will see you in the next couple of days.